Hi, welcome to Civics Change Agent Chat, episode 33. During these chats, we speak with change agents who are working to create a better healthcare system for us all. I'm Stephanie Spriggs with the Center for Improving Value in Healthcare, or as we like to call it, Civic. In this chat, Anna English, Civic's president and CEO, is speaking with Dr. Jay Want, Civic's former chief medical officer, about the first year in his new role as executive director of the Peterson Center on Healthcare. The Peterson Center on Healthcare is a nonprofit organization dedicated to making higher quality, more affordable healthcare a reality for all Americans. Using a data-driven, collaborative, and action-oriented approach, the center is working to transform U.S. healthcare into a high-performance system by finding innovative solutions that improve quality and lower costs, and accelerating their adoption on a national scale. During this chat, we learn how Jay is liking his new adventure and what initiatives the Peterson Center on Healthcare has planned for the future. We recorded this chat in August 2018. Thanks for listening and enjoy the chat. Hey, go. Hello, and thank you for joining Civic's monthly change agent chat. I am Anna English, a Civic CEO. Uh, before we get started, um, there are just a few housekeeping items to mention. Uh, the phone lines are muted, and we will be using the Q&A feature um, to field any questions and allow you to make comments on the discussion. So we'll be continuing to monitor those throughout. Um, questions posed will be answered during the, during the Q&A session. And again, this also this uh, webinar is being recorded and will be posted to the Civic site, so you may access the information again at any time without any cost. Okay, and so with that, we'll go ahead and get started. Um, today, we will be speaking with Dr. Jay Want. Um, he's the Executive Director of the Peterson Center on Healthcare, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to making higher quality, more affordable healthcare a reality for all Americans. Dr. Want is uh, Civic's former CEO, CMO, and founding board chairman. And I do have to say that we, Jay, we miss you here in Colorado and especially here at Civic. Um, so, Jay, you know, the Peterson Center has a number of great programs and initiatives and, you know, such as monitoring the U.S. healthcare performance yep. and finding and accelerating healthcare innovation, just to name a few. But today, what we want to do is chat about Jay's first year in his new position and the Peterson Center's data transparency initiative. Needless to say, it's a topic that is very near and dear to civics. So with that, Jay, I'll turn it over to you. Oh, great. Thank you, Anna. That, it's, a, it's a thrill to be on this, I, and it's kind of weird being on the other side of it since I used to do these uh, from <laughs> your chair, but uh, hello to everybody in Colorado. Uh, I miss you all as well, and uh, I miss Civic especially, uh, but uh, exciting time here at the Peterson Center, too. So uh, so you kind of heard the intro blurb on the Peterson Center, but I wanted to do a little bit more background just to give context basically to the data part that we're going to talk about uh, in the middle at the end of this. So the Peterson Center is a part of the Peter G. Peterson Foundation. So P. Peterson was, uh, uh, he just died in April, but he was an American businessman and uh, actually was Secretary of Commerce under Nixon, uh, but probably his biggest claim to fame was that he uh, was a founder of Blackstone. Um, and in 2008, sold his portion of Blackstone for about $1.9 billion. 
uh, soon signed on to the giving pledge that uh, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and others have. And so he's put kind of a, he had put about a billion aside basically. And his big cause was basically um, trying to restore some kind of fiscal sanity to the, uh, the American and the federal budget basically. Because he thought, man, uh, I'm the son of immigrants. I grew up as a kid behind a cash register in Carney, Nebraska at an all night diner. And I got to be Secretary of Commerce and I got to you know, have this great career. Other people should still have that. And he became worried that it wasn't going to happen so long as we were you know, kind of deficit spending at the rate that we were. So they set up the foundation in 2008 and, and very quickly the analysts there said, well, we've got to have good news and bad news. I mean, the good news is I think we found your problem. The bad news is that it looks like healthcare is going to be about 70% of the increased debt and deficit over the next 20 years. So you're going to have to get at that if this is going to be successful. So they set up the center in 2014, and we've been looking basically for those solutions that, uh, not inventing new ones, but finding them around the country, uh, models of care that actually can have been proven to lower cost, but also improve quality and patient experience at the same time. This fits a lot with how Pete saw the world. He thought, well, you know, that's all I did about Blackstone was find good ideas and invest a lot of money in them and then kind of make them just the way everybody uh, did business um, in a particular industry. And that's how this works. So why can't I do that in healthcare? Um, so that's what we do is we actually kind of find these models. Uh, we're working in primary care. We're getting started on high needs at this point. We did a, uh, a, a, uh, uh, basically a white paper with uh, uh, the National Academy of Medicine and about five other foundations on, you know, kind of what are high needs, what are the segments, what are the potential solutions, um, and, and looking for those models now. We'll also be working in serious illness, advanced care, end-of-life care um, in that space as well. But one of the things that, that Pete always, you know, kind of knew about this is that it's really hard to judge value if you can't actually see any of the prices involved with any of this stuff, and that's kind of a core problem. In American healthcare. So we started out at the center basically kind of highlighting variation across the country, working with you know, Elliot Fisher at Dartmouth and with an institution called um, the Institute for Healthcare Metrics and Evaluation in Seattle. Um, and, you know, lo and behold, no surprise to the people at Civic, no surprise to me because I saw it when I was there, there's a lot of variation. I mean, big differences in prices between different parts of the country. But uh, we have a distinguished kind of advisory board, and we've kind of, you know, we check with them kind of periodically on the strategy, and they said, you know, that work is great. We really love that work. But until you actually get into local markets, until you actually help people purchase differently and help purchase for better outcomes as well as lower cost, it's kind of off or not. I mean, it's, it's good to know that there's variation, but at the end of the day, you want people to take action. Um, and again, that's another theme from Pete and now his son Michael who runs the foundation and the management company at the center. Um, so, uh, so I, you know, I combed through my memory and I thought, gee, what places have data? I mean, like real prices on what's going on in local markets and who could, you know, basically help people understand that better, particularly employers, purchasers, others. And, uh, and so we started to look into the all-payer claims databases, the APCDs. Uh, you know, Civic obviously hosts one, but there are, you know, probably almost two dozen across the country now in various stages of development. We think if we can help enable those, uh, those uh, organizations 
to have some of the capabilities that Civic has, that you know, Maine has, that other places have, that uh, people will start to take action. And Anna and I were just uh, talking uh, before the call started that sounds like something exactly like that is starting to happen in Colorado, where people say, my gosh, you know, we've been very, very patient with you in healthcare in terms of, you know, you said, telling us that you were going to reform yourselves, but um, I got to tell you, we're out of money basically to pay for more stuff that you want to sell us. We'd like to get better value now. So let's kind of dig deep so that we're actually dealing with real numbers and real data and a real sense of, you know, what's more expensive than what. Uh, we think and we hope, very, very much hope, that that will happen in states all across the country. And so kind of getting the, the APCDs up to a, a level, basically, because they're very different levels across the country, um, is, uh, is now becoming a priority for us. We're guided by that sense of practicality, basically, and so uh, we don't know of many other places where that local data is actually available. So, so Jay, you know, so, so you also worked, and, and needless to say, we'd love to work with you in the Peterson Center, you know, with the data out of Colorado. So we'll talk later. Yeah. But, you know, so, so with some of the work, and you did some great work with um, um, NQS, the National Equality Forum. And so, so what, what are some of the performance measurements that you're seeing, you know, can really help and effectively change behavior? You know, I mean, yeah. It's trial and error for us here, at least in Colorado, and we work with a lot of the other APCDs, but what do what you, from that global and nationwide perspective, what, what are you all seeing? That's a great question, um, and we tried to answer that and, and a few other questions several months back. We actually commissioned some papers uh, from some national authors basically to try to address four different areas, but one of them was data transparency, and we had a convening with, you know, some of the best people we could find to, uh, to ask the question you just asked on is that, well, you know, basically what metrics actually drive performance? So uh, they came to a number of different conclusions. None of them was a direct answer to that question, but one of them was, one of the conclusions is, well, you know, we have a bunch of measures, hardly any of them actually drive performance. Uh, Peter uh, Pronovost was actually on the on the panel uh, out of Hopkins, that I think is now at Optum, but he said, you know, I'm, I'm the chief quality officer for the Johns Hopkins system. You know how many metrics I'm responsible for in some kind of pay for performance way? He said 1,400. He said, what's the likelihood I'm going to be able to pay attention to 1,400 metrics? He said, of course I don't. I pay attention to the two or three dozen that make a big difference to us financially, and those are the ones I really focus on. But the, you know, the, the rest of the discussion group kind of said, well, you know, I think what we ought to do, and, and the, they weren't uniform in this answer, but this was the kind of majority opinion. Maybe we ought to get out of the micromanagement business. Maybe we ought to be talking to a system like Hopkins and say, well, there are a few things that we want to measure, and here are the metrics we're going to use. Of course, total cost of care, you know, maybe using the health partners methodology that Civic and others helped pioneer. We want to look at some kind of global sense of, uh, of uh, you know, patient satisfaction. How happy are patients with this? And that means development of more kind of patient-reported outcomes, not simply kind of caps, but more detailed stuff, basically, where we can really understand what the patient experience looks like. We want to look at how, you know, what, what provider satisfaction looks like, because, you know, big correlation between how well providers find the experience and how well uh, patients find the, uh, the experience. 
and then quality. Quality probably being the toughest of them because you know a lot of those 1,400 measures are purportedly quality metrics, but they don't really drive performance. But the general philosophy was, let's start with very high level stuff and then say, listen, you health system, uh, Hopkins or MedStar, anybody else, we're just gonna measure the top stuff. We're gonna clear out all the stuff underneath and then you can decide basically what you wanna measure internally in order to be able to drive to the larger goal that we, we have. So uh, the head of that, uh, that, the author of that paper was Helen Burstyn, who was the head of NQF for a while. And she was one of the strongest voices to say, yeah, we have way too many metrics. You know, we validated a bunch of stuff. But we need to simplify this to a few different dimensions that we can get down to measure how a system is doing overall and leave it at that. Let's stop measuring micro stuff that people actually, you know, doesn't really mean there's a good or bad quality performance. It just means that it's something that we have a data source for and that we know how to measure. You know, so, so one of the things that, you know, we, we hear a lot when they think of data, healthcare data transparency, they think, they think about price, you know, naturally, but it's, it's also utilization. Yeah. And, you know, as you're aware, Colorado has been involved in this um, benchmarking study, this multi-state benchmarking study, of which, yes, you know, we, we do Colorado compared to the five states. We have a, a um, facility hospital pricing issue on the inpatient side, but mm -hmm. utilization, outpatient and pharmacy utilization was extremely high compared to these other states. So, I mean, how is the Peterson Center looking at transparency beyond price? Yeah, it's, a, it's a good question. I mean, the, what you're asking is utilization still important. And, and so a couple things on that. Um, one, uh, some of the work that we commissioned with the Institute for Healthcare Metrics and Evaluation said, well, yes, there is a utilization component to the rise in cost over the years, but the biggest component is actually pricing. It's actually for the same codes. It seems like we're paying a lot more than we did five years ago or 10 years ago. Now, we're not able to actually separate out uh, the formal names are price and intensity. We don't know whether in the same DRG, people are doing a bunch more stuff uh, for the same bed day that they produce. But you know, the data seems to indicate that pricing is a big deal. Having said that, again, from the opinions of a lot of the experts who sat around the table and discussed this with us, they said, but listen, you gotta continue to work on utilization and the variation that you know, gets highlighted in, uh, in national databases and also at Civic are really important on that. So we continue to work on how does the system get more effective and more efficient. Um, in our primary care work, one of the things that we're recognizing is a big kind of uh, leverage point or a tool, uh, the one that seems to matter most actually in terms of overall cost as well as quality and, and patient satisfaction is how tight are the relationships between primary care and specialty care? How tight are the relationships be between primary care and behavioral health? Those are things that actually, when we looked at exemplary practices uh, through a study that Arnie Milstein did for us at Stanford, those were the things that actually predicted what, you know, some of the uh, characteristics that, uh, that predicted the highest uh, performing function on cost and quality were actually the tightness of those relationships. So we're doing, you know, we're starting some work now to try to figure out, well, how would you do that then? How would you actually select of uh, specialty providers that you can work particularly well with, that you have a rapport with, that you basically have good communication back and forth with. And, and then how would we foster that in, uh, uh, in systems that don't have that particular property? 
Um, so we think that that may be really important just in terms of optimizing utilization. You know, it's really hard to tell what the optimal level is, but we do know some places do a lot better on cost and a lot better on quality and have very low utilization and potentially they could teach us uh, all the rest of us how to do that better. Great. Now, you mentioned APCDs, and of yeah. course, um, you know, that's a big, uh, big, big, important database here in Colorado and, and yes. source of information. Um, so how do you at the Peterson Center intend to engage and work with, you know, not only civic, but other, you know, APCDs throughout the, throughout the country? Yeah, it's still formative at this point, because we just made this pivot from the national strategy to a more regional strategy probably three or four months ago. Um, you know, I used whatever knowledge I could import from Civic when I came here to say, well, there are, you know, kind of uh, trade organizations. So working with Denise Love and Nato, um, and, uh, and, and, you know, basically uh, trying to find the commonalities among the APCDs and what, and specifically also what things are missing from a lot of those places. So I think we're going to be kind of in information gathering for a little while. I mean, just kind of trying to get to know you guys better, trying to get to know Nato better. Um, and, uh, and then we'll try to formulate how we can uh, be helpful. Um, uh, philanthropy is a great place, basically, because there's some things that there are some bets that you can make that other entities cannot. Uh, other entities tend to be more focused on short-term uh, return. We can make, you know, five-year bets and 10-year bets. But despite that advantage, philanthropy only has its, you know, a particular niche. Uh, one of the guys on our advisory board is, a, is a Bill Gates. And he's quoted it, uh, I think, in Forbes at one point saying, well, you know, um, philanthropy is 2% uh, of the economy. Uh, 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 government is, is 30% and the rest is private enterprise. Each one of those sectors has its, uh, has its role to play. And uh, so we're... We're, uh, we're excited to be able to be uh, uh, impactful, but we also have a, a good, uh, a sober sense of the limitations of what we can do. Um, and so before we open up, we've got a couple minutes before we open up for questions, and I see that they were starting to get some questions that pop up. So please, um, all of you that are listening, you know, get your, get your questions on the board, and uh, we'll go ahead and try to answer as many of them as possible. You know, so Jay, if, if there was something, um, you know, and again, you talked about long term, you know, the next five years or so on, but if there are certain things that can be done now, you know, what, what would be, based on your experience and with the Peterson Center, what would be your recommendation of what, what action should take, be taken now? And, and so fill in the rest of that sentence, to do what? I mean, what's, what's the goal therapy for the short term actions? But to start affecting change, you know, so in order for us to have the right type of information, you know, a falling under data transparency, but with the right type of information, you know, what should be those priorities, you know, based on what you're learning across the, across the nation as well as prior experiences? Yeah, um, the, uh, the wonky part about that is that the information is not as, uh, uh, not as transparent as we would like and it's not as complete as we would like so um, believe it or not we do talk about Liberty Mutual versus Gobea a little bit here and about how the self-insured is a big chunk of data that actually would be helpful um, that uh, potentially you know some additional action would be uh, would be nice in order to be able to get those folks into the pool uh, so that's uh, so this is way arcane detail but you know that 
that decision is at the Department of Labor. And so there's a question about whether uh, uh, people should be recommending um, that Department of Labor exercise some, uh, some jurisdiction there. I, I didn't mention in the, in the beginning, but the Peterson Foundation, because of its focus on fiscal responsibility, is primarily a policy shop. So the foundation actually has a lot of uh, relationships with people in DC and with a lot of agencies there. So that's potentially a place where we could be helpful and make some kind of difference in the availability of data. Um, the emergence of data standards is probably also really important. Just a lot, like the work that Civic did with the other four APCDs under ENRI's um, tutelage, having basically standard definitions for all this or standard metrics, uh, ways of measuring stuff, is pretty important. We're finding it's, you know, it, it is still kind of the Wild West just in terms of what definitions people are using and, and uh, there doesn't appear to be a great deal of standardization. So being able to come up with, say, uh, for example, to agree on the health partners total cost of care measure as the way we will measure at every, you know, kind of level of, uh, of aggregation, you know, at the practice level, at the system level, at the regional level, that would be really helpful, I think. So, you know, those are, those are kind of the infrastructure things that I think might be helpful in, in order to be able to allow actors um, on top of that to be able to take action in the local markets. Great. Okay, so with that, I, we see that there's some questions that are now coming up. Um, so the first one, I think that we, we talked a bit about price variation, which is a one, and needless to say, you know, premiums are driven by price and utilization. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and, and I think you already um, addressed some of this, you know, are we analyzing utilization as closely as price variation? Um, this um, brings patient responsibility into the equation. Um, yeah. And they also state that, you know, there's two local hospitals that drive down costs, but utilization goes up then. Um, and sometimes eclipsing dollars saved from competitive pricing. So we have, you know, it's more than just the baseline question, but I don't know if there's anything that you want to add beyond um, what you had already addressed regarding utilization and the impact of price versus utilization. Yeah, there, there have been uh, other observers who have had that same concern. I don't know who asked the question, but thank you for the question. Uh, some people have made exactly that observation, though, that as you squeeze one in, let's say you squeeze down price and you regulate price, that suddenly utilization goes up. Uh, that's, uh, you know, uh, Maryland had that experience, basically, with the way they paid uh, for a while. Let's say you do the other thing and you say, well, let's control utilization really tightly, and then you watch prices go up. That's pretty much the story of most managed care markets, you know, for, for the last 20 years. So some places that are starting to think, well, maybe we don't talk about those components, but we set an overall budget, basically. So uh, Rhode Island is now considering doing exactly that to say, okay, we, we get the whole balloon squeezing problem. When we try to fix Medicaid prices and commercial go up, or we try to fix commercial and people cost shift someplace else. So let's do this. Let's go all in, see what we spend as a state in Medicare, Medicaid, you know, basically all kind of lines of business. And then let's try to make that as a budget so that we don't exceed the growth of, of uh, the economy in the state. Um, they're doing that partially by, uh, so underneath that initiative, they're also increasing their spend in primary care. Um, and uh, targeting a certain percentage of spend to go to primary care. And they're also putting a limit on how much uh, uh, providers can increase their charges year over year. Um, and, 
So early on, I, you know, I think the, the, the results there are kind of promising, but it's still pretty early. Uh, so people are thinking, maybe we, we do stop the squeezing of the balloon in one place to have a pop out in the other by controlling the overall spend and not simply either utilization or price. Right. And, 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 you know, and otherwise termed as whack-a-mole, you know, you kind of keep hitting it and something else Absolutely. pops out somewhere else. And I think one of the, you know, we've all, those of us that have been in healthcare for a long time, um, and we've all seen the ups and the downs of fee-for-service versus capitation, but now, you know, you're really looking at the creativeness that is coming out with the various types of alternative payment models. And, you know, some of them are tied straight to quality performance, others are more of these global types payments versus the legacy capitation. So, you know, I think there's a lot of innovation that's going out there. The question is, okay, what's what's working versus yeah. just another cycle? And I think that's what everyone is working really hard. Um, we have some more questions. You know, here's another question from Michael um, from Menko. Um, you know, so he asks, what are the most effective tools, if any, that we are seeing um, to enlist the help of the patient to help with pricing and utilization? Huh. That's a, that's a great question, Mike. And, uh, and uh, uh, Mike always has great questions. Um, <laughs> I love discussing with him. So I, you know, so Mike, I think that the um, at least what we observed in the Stanford study is actually shared decision making is one of the best things. It is unfortunately really hard, though. I mean, it's uh, uh, among the exemplary practices that we looked at. It was one of the the most difficult things to install. Um, I think there are a bunch of other things, uh, mechanisms by which, you know, they, people are trying to get incentives aligned basically for, uh, for on the patient side. And, you know, some of those are uh, uh, effective. Some of them are probably blunter than I would like. I mean, you know, kind of the high deductible plans do make people shop. I mean, they do make people try to compare price um, and, uh, and takes, and, you know, obviously they have financial responsibility in that case. But you know the general theme that we're kind of working on is again relationships are uh, maybe the most cost-effective thing that there is. That basically, uh, and there's literature to support this that trust in a particular provider is uh, one of the best things you can do for for cost and quality. So, uh, so if I had to give one answer, Mike, I would say that that uh, that the shared decision making may be the most promising thing that we see right. So I see that Michael has another question. I'm going to switch over to uh, George Swan, who we've all interacted quite a bit here in uh, Colorado. So uh, hello, George. Um, yeah. You know, George asks also regarding, you know, he was looking at the Peterson Center um, site. Um, yeah. What about adding other types of data sources to, um, you know, these, not, not, you know, I'm going to add a little bit, you know, not yeah. just necessarily at the Peterson Center, but also some of these other um, healthcare data Sites such as Civic. Yeah, I um, uh, and uh, good to hear from you, George. Uh, uh, missed our conversations after the commission. Um, uh, I I think that's ultimately where this has to go, and and uh, an area that we're interested in are patient reported outcomes. Actually, not simply kind of measuring satisfaction, but what the experience was like. It's it's going to take a while, basically, to incorporate that kind of data into uh, to basically meld administrative data with clinical data with patient reported outcomes to get a, a more granular and complete picture of, of clinical encounters. Uh, we don't anticipate being able, or we haven't seen anybody yet who has been able to do that on a large scale. Uh, but 
you know, I would guess three to five years, we'll, we'll see a lot more of that, particularly in the patient reported outcome space. We're working with Northwestern right now on a pilot on that and how to embed that basically into their electronic health record. Uh, but uh, the, the, the space is, is still pretty early, I, I think, at this point. You know, so, so another question that came up, which I think is very, very pertinent, you know, um, is there, there are a lot of requests for the system, for the providers and the, physician, the hospitals and the physicians to change, the health systems themselves. But what do we need to do to get, you know, to ask for more engagement from the patients? Um, you know, so again, a lot of that is tied to the benefit plans, but just like there can, it's a lot of trial and error. How do we actually get engagement? I think it's a great question. How do we actually get patients to engage and, and say, it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to ask about price. It's okay to ask whether or not they really need that test. Okay, so uh, you mean normalizing that? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, what? Well, I, uh, I, I, was, uh, I was trying to discern exactly what kind of engagement. It, I mean, normalize the ability to talk about price and basically to not have people not be embarrassed to say, you know, DACA got a $5,000 deductible, and this is, this is pretty much, you know, this is a good chunk of my savings, basically, if I have to pay for this particular test. And so, you know, do I really need it or do I, do I you know, is there, is there something cheaper that I can go after? Um, I, that's, <laughs> that is a larger cultural change, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but I think we're, we're kind of at that place uh, where, you know, I, I think people are out of money. And so I think it's going to become uh, more normal to ask about that. Certainly providers are telling me that they're, you know, they get asked the question more and more frequently. I I think one of the keys to motivating people in general on th th these kind of topics is that, because we've, we've struggled with this, you know, uh, boy, I'd like to lower the percentage of GDP spent on healthcare. It doesn't make a great bumper sticker. Um, so we're kind of, uh, you know, kind of toying with the messaging around this. And we think that one of the things that may resonate is, you know, I've, I've tried to reduce it to a phrase, care people can't afford isn't care at all. So basically, as long as the prices continue to go up like this, and as long as more responsibility gets pushed off on patients, then it's, it, it's threatening access. It's threatening basically our ability to take care of an entire population of people. And so I think if, uh, if people want to embed something basically in their message so that they don't feel so sheepish about this, it's, I think it's that. Care I can't afford isn't care that's available to me. So help me get care that is affordable so that I can actually do what you ask me to do or what we decide we, that we should do for me together. Well, I have to say, this has been a wonderful discussion, but we are at the end of our 30 minutes. So thank you, Jay, um, for joining us and sharing your valuable insights. I have to say, you have gained a lot more insights. Um, hopefully you carried a lot with you from uh, Civic and your time here in Colorado. Um, thank you to all of you that have uh, joined us as well. Um, the recording of the discussion will be shared uh, via social media and the Civic site in the coming days. Um, our next chat is uh, Tuesday, August 28th, um, when we'll be chatting with the Coalition to Transform Advanced Care and about their national summit that is coming up in Colorado, and it is right here in Denver. Um, a, a very important topic. I know it's a very important topic as well for the Peterson Center and for Jay as well. Um, thanks again, and have a great weekend, or a great week. Thank you.
Great to talk to you all. Bye-bye.